0: If you have your Bibles, let's turn today to the book of Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke, the 18th chapter. I am going to be reading several verses of Scripture, beginning with the ninth verse. So I want you to find that as quickly as possible and follow along with me. Luke 18, verse number 9. And He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I want you to see from the beginning here who Jesus was talking to. The Bible said He gave this parable to people who trusted in themselves. People who looked to themselves as the end-all and be-all, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners unjust, adulterers, or even as this, publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithe of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." I tell you, this man went down to the house justified, to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This is an interesting parable that that Jesus gave here in the scripture about two men that were very different. One a Pharisee and the other a publican. The prayers that they prayed and the result of their prayers. I want to talk to you for a little while today about deliberate acts that shape our future. Deliberate acts that shape our future. It happened on January the 6th, 1994. Let me see the hands of those that were alive in 1994. Alright. Now, if you were not alive in 1994, let me see your hand. we got three or four that were not here. If, it, it, that, were, <laughs> that were not alive at that time. Most everyone in uh, the sanctuary today was alive at ni- in 1994. Those that were not alive in 1994 probably back there in Sunday school or there in the student class, but uh, most of us here this morning were alive in 1994, and uh, this happened on January the 6th of 1994 at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships. If you were indeed alive at that time, then you already know the story. You already know what transpired. Two of the top female athletes found themselves in an international scandal. It went beyond the borders of this great country and the news spread around the world because... They were only a few weeks away from the Winter Olympics when this happened. Here we are, 24 years later. Two and a half decades later. And a movie just came out (laughs) about the incident that happened 24 years ago. Between two young ladies competing for the U.S. Figure Skating Championship. Although Tanya Harding maintains her innocence in the whole situation, one deliberate act, one deliberate act, is still affecting her life today. I read through um, some of the interviews that have been done of late with with Tanya Harding and with Nancy Kerrigan, and it's interesting. Um, I do remember when it transpired how uh, it was so shocking to the world that that this would really happen like it did. But uh, some of the some of some of the current interviews say that Tanya Harding never offered an apology to Nancy Kerrigan. That, that even 24 years later, uh, there's been no apology given. Some of the, the things that I read about uh, Harding's life, it was, she had a difficult upbringing and um, uh, it's interesting the, the firefight that's still going on with family members there. Uh, they're saying that uh, the way her mother was portrayed in in this recent movie is not accurate. Her mother is uh, against what happened, and that this isn't true and and there's all kinds of debate going back and forth, right and wrong and and I read where the rights the rights to the story for the person who uh, paid to to ultimately write the story and then get it sold and into movie form. Bought it for $1,500. The deal was, I want to buy your story for $1,500 and, and if it uh, makes it into a movie and we recoup the, the cost that, that is required, then uh, there may be some more money that will come your way. But here we are, 24 years later, and still talking about one act that uh, a deliberate act that is affecting Tanya Harding's life today. She just said, she just said this week, this week, for the first time in 24 years, after having uh, to be on probation for three years, after having uh, a felony on her record, after paying over $100,000 in fines and doing more than 500 hours of community service and on and on it goes of what she did, of serving her time and doing the things necessary. This week, for the first time, she actually admitted that she overheard her ex-husband and a friend saying that they were going to take someone out, but she really didn't know who it was. In 24 years, she has not admitted that she knew anything about what was going on, but this week she finally said, well, I may have overheard some talk. A deliberate act that is shaping her future. One of the greatest figure skaters uh, ranking in the world and no doubt would have been a shining star, had accomplished much and gained acclaim, now is banned from uh, in being involved at all, banned from uh, participating at all. Can't even, uh, as the things that I read, can't even really coach a team because if you coach a team and you're... Uh, Team is good enough to make it to any type of championship or any type of event. You cannot go there as a coach. And so, uh, her whole life, what she spent her her time trying to accomplish, it was all destroyed with one deliberate act. That 24 years later is still touching her life. Now... In our text, we have two individuals going to the temple to pray. And Jesus gives us a parable here that one went with wrong intentions and the other with a right motive. And there is a big difference in wrong intentions and right motives. Amen. How many knows that's the truth? Whether you have uh, been the recipient of someone that had Uh, wrong intentions, or you've lived your life with right motives, you know that there is a big difference. And this is what Jesus was trying to show us in the parable. I want you to look at the words that these men prayed when uh, they went to the temple. This is what verse 11 said. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are. This is the way he approached the Lord. Other people are extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or, Lord, even as this publican that stands here close by, I am so thankful that I am not like other people are. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even like this publican. A publican was a tax collector. I'm not a tax collector. I'm not involved in any of that. I am different than all of them. I'm not like them. He said, I fast, he told the Lord. I fast twice in the week, and I pay tithes of all that I possess. I was telling God, look at who I am. Look at where uh, I have arrived. Look at my life and what I have accomplished and how I'm not sinful like other people and I'm religious in my everyday living. I'm glad I'm not like them. The Bible goes on to say that the publican was standing afar off and he would not even lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner." He didn't go through the long list of look-at-me accomplishments, but He simply said, Lord, I I just need Your mercy. I'm a sinner. There are things in my life that are not right. And it's clear here in the Scripture what each man was after. How many can see that? That it's, it's clear what they were trying to receive, what they were what they were after. The Pharisee wanted the attention of people. He wanted wanted people to hear what he was saying. He wanted people to recognize him, that he was not an adulterer, that he was not unjust, that, that he was different from everyone else, that he fasted, that he prayed, and that he gave his tithe. He wanted people to recognize him. But the publican, all he wanted was the mercy of heaven. He didn't want the attention of men. He wanted the mercy of heaven. And so he cries out to God for for mercy. If you have your Bibles there close by, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, the 12th chapter. And we're going to read a few verses here. John 12, verse number 42. The Scripture uh, tells us, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him talking about Jesus, that there were many that believed on Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. They believed him, on Him, but they would not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. People believed, but they did not want to lose their place in the synagogue. For they loved, the Bible said, the praises of men more than the praises of What this Pharisee wanted was the recognition of men, the attention of men. He wanted men to see what he did and he did not want to lose his place. The Bible said that there were those who would not even confess the Lord even though they believed in Him because of the Pharisees and because they did not want to lose their place in The synagogue, a pharisaical spirit is one that looks for the approval of man. A person that is always looking for people to approve of you. A person that is always looking for people to give uh, accolades toward what you have done and what you have accomplished. They want what is happening outwardly people to say good job look what you did you're so religious you're so you're so right you you are so perfect everything about your life is is to be recognized and applauded that's what the pharisees wanted they wanted attention and here is this man uh praying the bible said and he's saying to god look at me i'm not like other people I, I, I'm righteous, I, I'm not unjust, I'm not a sinful man, I, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not an extortioner, I'm not taking advantage of people. I fast twice a week, I give a tithe of all that I possess. He wanted people to applaud Him and say, man, you did a good job, you're awesome. <laughs> everything they do and everything that they did is about The flesh. Everybody say the flesh. Oh God, help us to get our flesh under control because it's easy to get to the place where we want people to recognize us. We want people to uh, give praise to us. We want people to applaud what we are doing. The flesh is our greatest enemy. Everybody say, Our greatest enemy. My flesh, my flesh does not want me to do what is right. Amen. And so everything that uh, is a part of a Pharisaical spirit has to do with the flesh. But the Scripture says in Romans 8, if you want to look there with me, verse number 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. Paul said, we are in debt, but we're not in debt to the flesh. To live after the flesh, he said, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. If it's about the flesh, you're headed for death. Somebody hear me today. The scripture says this, But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. How do we live? Not by giving in to the flesh, not by pleasing the flesh. Not by always acquiescing to the flesh. We live by the Scripture saying mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Killing the flesh, if you will. Causing the flesh not to have as much influence in our lives. Not following the leading of what my flesh decides or desires. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you want to live, then through the Spirit you have to mortify the deeds of the body. Mortify the deeds of the body. Amen. Do you know what we're talking about when we say mortify the deeds of the body? Just because it was something you did when you were in the world, doesn't mean that it should be something that you continue to do now that you were in the church. Just because it's what your flesh wanted and what your flesh longed for when you were in the world doesn't mean that you have to surrender or bow down to that now that you're in the church. God has given you the power to overcome. You can attack the things that once controlled you. The things that you could not handle before, you can now through the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said it is through the Spirit, the Spirit, that you mortify the deeds of the body. You're not just going to uh, go to a a meeting and say, well, I'm I'm in rehab right now for the flesh. No, you have to kill the flesh. You don't rehab the flesh, you kill it. You, You don't toy with it, you don't... You don't baby it. You don't give attention to it. You don't allow it to have a voice. The Bible said mortify the deeds of the body. Kill it. Destroy it. Take charge over it. Take authority. How do you do that? Through the Spirit. You cannot do that on your own. You're not just going to make up your mind and all of a sudden be on the winning side. You have to rely upon the help of the Spirit. You have to call for the help of the Spirit. You have to be like the one man that said, God, I need Your mercy in my life. I need Your help in this situation. In Colossians 3, The Bible talks about it in verse number 1. It says, If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. In glory, Mortify, therefore, your members. Mortify. Kill these things, it's saying, which are upon the earth. And then he gives uh, this long list of things there. And goes on into verse 6, saying, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. These things operate in the lives of those who are disobedient. Alright? Now, he goes on. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. He said there was a time that you walked in those things. There was a time that you lived in those things, but no longer. Well, where did the change come? The change came when I started relying on the Spirit to mortify the deeds of the body and say, just because I did that in the world doesn't mean I have to continue doing that now that I'm living for God. He's given me power to overcome the flesh and the things that the flesh will lead me to. And so these were two very different men. And there's no middle ground here in between the Pharisee and the publican. We, we, we all choose which type of person we will be. You have a choice in the matter, okay? You can either fall in line with the Pharisaical spirit, or you can fall in line with the man that cried out, to heaven for mercy it's all up to you you make that decision if, if you are the end-all, be-all, then you'll fall in line with the Pharisaical spirit saying, God, I thank You. I'm not like other people. I'm better than everybody else I haven't made. I've got it all figured out. Look how religious I am. I fast, I give. I've got it all together. Or you can be like the other person that said, God, I'm just doing the best I can to make it. I'm just a sinner and I need Your mercy every day that I live. You decide what kind of person you're going to be. And you continue to decide what type of individual that you will be. No one else can do that for you. You make that decision. And I make that decision. In the book of Romans, the second chapter, and verse number 28. I I read this just a day or so ago and it, it spoke to me. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that uh, circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. See, the one man, the Pharisee wanted, they wanted the praise of men. They did not want to be removed out of the synagogue. So they would not confess the Lord because they wanted people to acknowledge them. But on the other side of that is the publican, if you will. And the Scripture here talks about it being a Jew. You're not just a Jew because you're a Jew in the flesh or Jew outwardly or a Jew because you went through the process of circumcision on the outward. He said you are a Jew if you have been circumcised in the heart and in the spirit God has birthed you if you will and you are not living by the letter but by the spirit and your praise that you're looking for is not from other men but it is from God I want God to recognize my life I know we have to be an example but I'm not living for the praise of men I want the, uh, I want the approval of heaven I want heaven to acknowledge my life I don't don't necessarily need people to say, good job. I want heaven to say, good job. I, I don't necessarily, and it makes us all feel good when people recognize things in our life. But what is motivating you? Is it the praise of men or the praise of heaven? Because the Bible said that if you have truly become what God wants you to be, then the praise will not be of men, but you'll be looking for the praise of God. You'll be looking for God to recognize the efforts in your life. And so His is the recognition that I want. And I encourage you to seek for the same. In verse number 12 of our opening text, the Pharisees said, I fast twice a week. I fast twice in the week. And I give tithe of all that I possess. First thing that I notice here is that fasting and tithing were priorities in this man's life. Because he said, I fast twice in the week. Every week, he said, I fast twice. And then he went on to say, pray. He said, and I give tithe of all, of all that I possess. Not of what I think I'll tithe on, or what I... Think I might give God. He said, here's a Pharisee saying, I tithe on everything that I have. Everything that I possess. And secondly, the thing that I see here is he probably would put many modern day Christians to shame. Even though his motivation was wrong. Even though his standing before God was wrong because he wanted the praises of men. He still, in his commitments, would put many modern day Christians to shame. And not just modern day Christians, but maybe even some that are in this building today. I read recently a a, a statistic, some statistics that, that stated only three, listen, only three to five percent of Christians. In North America, tithe. Only 3 to 5%. Across the board, in all churches, all Christian denominations, 5% is the high. Think about it for a moment. All of the blessings that are being missed out on. All of the good that can be done. You know, when you quote those scriptures that that talk about uh, asking for God to heal our land, forgive our sin and heal our land. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, if they will do what is right, I'll hear from heaven. We're pointing at the world and we're pointing at others saying if everybody else will get something right then maybe this thing will turn around and God's saying, wait a minute. You're my people and you're holding me up like a robber across the board. We're praying for God to show up and do mighty things and less than 5% of Christians tithe this, is, this, is, this went on to say that the average, the average adult weekly donation in the U.S. across the board is $17. People who tithe, they said, regularly, people who tithe regularly typically have less debt than other demographics. So tithers have less debt than other demographics. Eight out of ten have zero credit card debt. Tithers. Okay? This is saying something about the disciplines of their life. This is saying something about the way that they have pulled their life together to live a particular way. I'm talking across the board. This is not just in the apostolic church. This is across the board. It goes on to say 28% of them are completely debt. Free, debt free, tithers, including not having a mortgage. See, God will bless you if you'll let Him. God will make a way for you if you'll make right decisions. God will give you back more than you ever put in. It is a proven fact that God will not just do it because you say you know the truth. God will do it for anyone who takes Him at His Word and lives consistently honoring Him week in and week out. God will do it. He'll make a way for you. He'll turn things around. God will do it. This is what it went on to say. 35% of those who do tithe have a net worth valued at more than $500,000 in North America. Come on, let God bless you. Let God work it out for you. Will it happen day one? Probably not. But I promise you that if you will be consistent, God will start moving things in your life and He will start setting things up in your life. If you'll give Him time to work, He will blow your mind at where He will take you from and what He will set you up for if you just honor God. And this man said, I give... A tithe, I tithe on all that I possess. A Pharisee, if a Pharisee could do it, what should a person that serving God with the right spirit do? Where, where should we be in all of this? That the the the, the, the uh, article went on to say for Christian families making less than twenty thousand per year, okay. For people, families, Christian families making 20000 less per year, 8% of them give at least 10%. Okay? So think about the numbers here. People that make less than 20000 household income a year, 8% of them give a full 10% in tithing. For families making a minimum... Of 75000 a year or more, the figure drops to 1%. So when people say, I just don't have it right now. When I get more, then I'm going to. Most likely when you get more, the numbers say you will not do it then. There are more faithful givers that make less money than there are faithful givers that are in the upper tiers of making more money. Think about it for a moment. If you can't be faithful over a little, you'll never be faithful over much. Don't even kid yourself into thinking that that's going to be the case. I'm just giving you numbers that are across the board throughout North America right now, in Christianity as a whole. Lord, help us to do better, Amen. Lord, help us to do better. So, so when you receive, uh, when you receive your giving statement from last year, take a look at that and measure it against your possessions. Measure it against the uh, income that you received last year. Uh, I, I believe in some of the other numbers, and I don't have time to go into them all. That uh, seven. Uh, 7 or 8 out of 10 people, so so close to 80% of people tithe on their gross more so than their net. So there's very few people, the percentage is small, that tithe on their net. Most people in North America tithe on their gross. That's what the numbers are saying. So when you look at your giving statement this year, look back over last year and say, am I where I'm supposed to be with God? Am I honoring God? Have I really honored God with the tent that He's blessed me with? Or am I like others that would say, I can do this all on my own. I can do this by myself. So we've been fasting this week, and we've been praying and believing, and and let me help you for a moment think through this effort the right way it's about fasting is not about us going around saying to people look at me look what I'm doing look how I'm fasting I'm not eating this week and you guys leave me alone and if I have a bad attitude it's because I have that's not what fasting is about It's not for the recognition of people. It's not so people would say, oh, look at vertical church, or oh, look at that people. Look how sacrificial they are. Look how religious they are. That's not what it's about. Fasting is about silencing the flesh so the voice of the Spirit can ring clear in our heart and in our ears. I don't want the voice of my flesh to be louder than what God is speaking into my life. So you deny the flesh. What are we doing? Mortifying the deeds of the body. Silencing the flesh. quietening the flesh. Saying, you know, you've been getting your way long enough. I need to hear what the Spirit is saying in my life. I need to see where the Spirit is directing my family. I need to be in tune with what God is speaking into my life right now. I want to hear the voice of the Spirit. Fasting is about denying the worldly appetite of the carnal man. If you let the carnal man, he will take over. He will take over your life and choke out anything spiritual and anything godly. The carnal man will take over, but when you push the plate back, you're saying no to the carnal man. You're saying you will not control my life. I am going to hear the voice of the Spirit. I'm going to fight Follow after the direction that God is leading me. That's what fasting is about. That's what fasting will do for you. You don't just fast to get God to do something. I need this miracle in my family, so I'm going to fast until God does that. Most likely it won't happen. But if you'll approach fasting the right way, it's so I can get where I need to be to hear from God. I need to know the will of God. I need to be in tune with the Spirit of God. Honestly, it should endear you to God. Not to other people. When you fast, it should draw you closer to God. When you fast, you should get up in the morning and throughout the day and think about the Lord and what God's saying in your life and look forward to getting into His Word because you want to be endeared to Him. You don't care what others... I'm not looking for the praise of men. I want to get the attention of heaven. I want the praise of God. I want God to see my life and approve of the way I'm living. Others may say, well, you don't have to do that, and you shouldn't do that, and I don't know why you think that works. Jesus fasted. I said Jesus fasted. He set an example before us. Matthew, the sixth chapter. I want to read a few verses here. It says, take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. If you're doing it because you want others to recognize it, you're not going to get anything from heaven. Don't do this before men. It's a performance, if you will. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets." that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. The Bible is telling us here exactly what this Pharisee did is exactly what the Scripture says don't do. The Scripture said don't do this before men. He's standing in the synagogue saying, I'm not like other people. As as you do this before God in secret, He will reward you openly. See, others will see it, but they'll see it as a blessing of God and not an act of your flesh. See, the difference was the man was standing there as a Pharisee saying, Everybody, look at my flesh, it's perfect. When you walk in the favor of God, people don't see necessarily all of your particular acts. But they see the reward. They're wondering, how does he have that? And where did he receive that? And what's going on in his family? And he gets the glory. Because it wasn't something you produced, but it was something that God did on your behalf. And so the scripture tells us he will reward us openly. And when thou prayest, he said, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They want everyone to see what they're doing. Oh, I could tell you stories about people that I've known that want everybody to see what they're doing. They want everybody to see their giving. They want everybody to see their prayer. They want everybody to see their witness. They want everybody to see their worship. They want everybody because they're trying to get the attention of people and not the attention of God. If you want the attention of God, you're not concerned about what other people think. You do this on a daily basis because this is between you and God. You give because you want God to see you're faithful. You pray because you want God to hear from your life and know that you are thankful for what he's done for you you push the plate back not so everybody will say look how religious you are you push it back because you want the mercy of heaven you want the flesh to be quietened so the voice of the spirit can speak into your situation and you can be led by God listen it's deliberate acts that shape your future Okay? Deliberate acts that shape your future. He went on to say this. But thou. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. When you pray, don't just recite things, don't just rehearse things, don't just repeat things. Talk to God. Talk to God. He said they think they're going to be heard because they're saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm going to use this little this little analogy or illustration I should say and don't don't think I'm being facetious in any way because I'm not but I've been in many many prayer rooms throughout my lifetime and I can't even tell you how many times that I've heard people standing in a prayer room or standing in the corner or praying God 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 oh God 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 hallelujah 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 amen Amen, 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 amen. Are you talking to God or is that just a vain repetition? Just you're standing there, but are you talking to Him? You, people think they're going to be heard for their much speaking. Well, I spent thirty minutes saying God, 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 oh God, 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 move, 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 God, move my God, God, move, 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 God. No, listen. If you're going to pray, pray. Talk to Him. Open your mouth. Learn to speak things out to God like you would pr- talk to your neighbor or talk to your spouse or talk to your child. Open your mouth. God, I love you. Thank you for this day. Thank Thank. thank you for giving me a sound mind and the opportunity to approach you one more time and pour my heart out before you it makes a big difference than just standing there saying God, 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 God oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God learn to pray open your mouth up and pray you're not going to be heard because you spent 30 minutes repeating something over and over and over and over again that's not prayer That's not the kind of prayer that moves heaven. The kind of prayer that moves heaven is when you pour your heart heart out before God. Where you let Him know the things that are pressing in on your life. Be not, verse 8 he said, ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. Christianity is about deliberately Taking action in your life, actions that that you take every day, we take them every day in our lives, that these actions gain heaven's attention. Tanya Harding, whether she was involved or not, because of an act of an ex husband hiring a so and so, and here we are, her future has been shaped by one deliberate act. If that happens in the flesh, imagine what happens in the Spirit when you take deliberate acts to honor God. I believe, and I have to tell you this, that that there are many days I have to believe that early in my ministry, there were times that I fasted a whole lot more than I do now. But there were times that I fasted in those days and probably read and prayed and did more as a single man than I do as a married man pastoring with a family. I believe that I look back on some of those things and think deliberate decisions Of pushing the plate back for days on end and spending hours in prayer and time in the Word of God and worship when it didn't matter who was around. That my future has been shaped because of deliberate acts that I took as a young man. That today I'm trying to continue on those same, down that same path and those same acts. And maybe it's not as much as it once was, but I'm trying to shape my tomorrows. I'm trying to shape tomorrow with godly things and holy things and right things and deliberate acts that will cause the windows of heaven to be open and the miraculous to be imparted and the favor of God to show up in my life. I promise you, tomorrow can change for you if you start today with deliberate acts that receive the praise of heaven and not the applaud of man. The applause of man. This is what the Bible said in our, in our text. And we're going to go back to verse number 14 and I'm going to close out. So turn with me, if you will, to Luke 18 and verse number 14. I want to look at this verse in our text just for a moment because kind of in my in, in my my thought, it settles the issue. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house, talking about the the publican, justified rather than the other. And all he said was, I'm a sinner, I need your mercy. He went justified to his home. Not the other man saying, look at me, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. Look, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself what does the scripture say? Shall be exalted. So this this kind of settles the matter. The shape of our future is connected to the deliberate steps that we take today. And I pray that our tomorrows are full of divine benefits. And here's the question as I end. Do you want to be abased or exalted? Because that's what it comes down to. If you want to be abased, then let pride and arrogance and unfaithfulness and inconsistency and a prayerlessness, let all of those things dominate your life. And let the flesh lead you wherever you want to go. And enjoy it while you're in the process. Because He said that person will be abased. But if you want to be exalted, then keep pushing the plate back and keep praying and keep giving. keep worshiping and not doing it so you can get the applause of men but that you can get the attention of heaven and watch what God will do in your family and watch what God will do in your life and watch what God will do as He elevates you in your career and He elevates you in your life and all of a sudden when others are in lack you're going to be in plenty amen when others are suffering along you're going to live in benefit why? because you have deliberately taken action in your life that has shifted shaped your future let's stand together